Welcome to episode 58 of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. My name is Drew O'Grizzik. This is our first episode of 2017. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Alex isn't with us today as she's feeling quite sick, so hopefully she'll be back next week and we can hear all about her coding adventures and uh, see what she's been doing over the holidays and what she's learned. Anyway, I don't have any particular resolutions for 2017. But if I did, uh, it would probably be something along the lines of spend some more time with some front-end JavaScript, preferably, I think, in the flavor of uh, React. And as a matter of fact, we've got something coming up on January 23rd, which will give me just uh, a chance to do exactly that. And that is our uh, Vancouver Tech Meetup. We have Brian Clark from Mozilla's DevTools team coming out, and there might be a couple other people from Mozilla around to help out with this. We're going to be doing a a deep dive into Mozilla's debugger.html, and the idea here is to pull out the browser tools from the browser so you can plug it in to uh, different browsers and have the, the same set of debugging tools no matter which browser you're debugging. There still looks like there's still quite a, a ways to go with this, but we'll be uh, going through the intro docs, kind of getting set up, and then looking at uh, some of the, the bugs and features and pairing up and trying to put in some pull requests to get uh, the wheels more in motion with that. So it sounds like it should be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. And this weekend, I'm just kind of planning on uh, spending some time familiarizing myself with debugger.html, going through some of those docs and getting set up myself uh, to see what that's all about. And that should be a lot of fun. Um, As far as the holidays went, I didn't go to too many meetups or anything like that. I'm sure not that many people did. But it does look like we have a pretty exciting week this week. And one of the things that I'm really looking forward to, uh, in fact, the the meetup that I'm planning on going to, uh, if nothing else, will be on Thursday, there's actually a Van Ruby meetup, which I'm surprised and excited about. So this seems like, uh, is this starting to be a regular thing again? Are we going to see more Van Ruby meetups in 2017? I sure hope so. But this one looks really awesome. There's uh, Jeremy Baker from Zipline is going to be giving a talk on refactoring. Uh, so it says something like avoiding tears with rails uh, for more happiness and money by Jeremy Baker. Sounds awesome. Uh, anyway, I lo- always love to hear and read up on refactoring and Rails. And of course, the Ruby community is a pretty awesome one here in Vancouver. So that should be a lot of fun. Well, I'm not going to talk too much in this intro because we have a really cool guest coming up and I really love to jump into that interview. So that's it for uh, this part. And we're here with our special guest, Holly Peck. Holly, thank you very much for joining us on the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thanks. Good to be here, Drew. Awesome. So uh, I originally got in touch with you through Stacy McCauley from Microsoft, and she introduced me to you saying, um, Holly's doing some really cool stuff, and I thought so too. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you're doing? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Drew. Uh, wonderful introduction, I might add. Uh, so as you said, I am actually, my name's Holly. I'm currently the director of Women Who Code. Now, Women Who Code is a global nonprofit uh, kind of oriented towards the common goal of excelling or sorry, supporting uh, women to excel in technology careers. So uh, personally, you know, professionally, I'm a developer, software engineer, um, but I actually started this initiative to bring uh, women who code and to start and launch a chapter in Vancouver. So that's something that um, I, I think a lot of people kind of identify with uh, as being an important thing, getting more women into coding. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why? Why is this a big deal? Why now? Um, what's going on, and historically, uh, why has this not been uh, a big thing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, I think right now um, women want participation in society, and this means understanding and building the tools that govern it. And, uh, you know, not everything is technology-related. Uh, you know, all careers are, you know, um, are, are technology. And so uh, it's important to have women builders uh, to... Um, you know, diversify the the product landscape to build better products. You know, and and so women women want participation in that, and uh, I think it's really important uh, to to get more women into tech because the numbers out there are are, are pretty bad for women. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, about I think now I'm not entirely sure about the technology technical landscape of Vancouver, but uh, historically there's about you know ten women, uh, ten percent of women in technology. 90% men. So that's kind of interesting. I've been pretty involved uh, with some of the coding boot camps, particularly with CodeCore. Mm -hmm. um, and I was uh, somewhat pleasantly surprised and uh, happy with some of the numbers. I mean, mm -hmm. it seemed like uh, a pretty solid 30% plus were females uh, going through the boot camp. Um, not always, though. And even having one cohort yeah. uh, that that isn't Th that representative yeah. um, can really just change those numbers overall and change the percentages yeah. just in you know a couple of months. Um, but then you know in industry, uh, I haven't seen anywhere near those numbers. I yeah. mean, there's maybe one female developer out of out of ten, and that's kind of a lot. Yeah. You know. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, uh, growing up, there were certain roles and certain jobs uh, in society that you kind of thought, oh, this is this is woman's work or. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, my mom actually was kind of bad for this, you know, if we'd get a taxi and she'd say, oh, a woman driver, uh, things like that. And there's a lot of sort of, I guess, societal pressures, uh, from both sides, I think for men and for women, um, for, you know, what roles are appropriate, um, are good, what to strive for, what not to, mm -hmm. uh, and how does, how does that tie into tech in particular? And what are some... What are some, I guess, maybe some barriers? What are some things we can do as well to try and combat that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think traditionally, uh, you know, professional roles are and have been gendered. And that mm -hmm. is very unfortunate because it creates a really high barrier to entry. You know, with with STEM roles being being very, um, you know, gendered and, and for the common person to think of, oh, you know, even the type of engineer, even the trope or, you know, motif of an engineer is usually a man, mm -hmm. usually, you know, uh, a nerd, like, you know, working, tinkering uh, with code and, and, you know, perhaps his parents' basement is, is a very outdated but a pervasive image. And I think, you know, Women Who Code is about you know, breaking down those those traditional gender ideas of, of what women and men are supposed to do and, and just get women playing with code and and uh, engaging in the act of building. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, like, one of the things I was thinking earlier was, you know, why why not under other industries? You know, um, 
why not uh, women who fly mm-hmm. and get more more women in, into being pilots? Or, um, But I think something that you mentioned earlier makes a lot of sense. Almost all jobs these days are leaning toward tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also said builders a couple of times that I really feel that, um, you know, being a software developer uh, gives a very interesting perspective, I think, on life and on the world and what we can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really empowering that we we have the chance, uh, in a way, to build this, you know, universe 2.0 kind of thing. The, totally. The whole, you know, ecosystem, uh, companies, everything is now uh, leaning toward tech. Totally. And we're able to build that. Yeah. It's really cool to, to – and I always tell, you know, women who are kind of considering a – you know, either transferring into tech or, um, you know, becoming an engineer that, you know, engineering is just not one job, but every job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a place to, to be a builder and to, and to kind of work with technology um, and to build up your arsenal uh, with everything that you do, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. It's also pretty cool to kind of um, be paid to learn new things every day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I think that's pretty rad. <laughs> Definitely. So another thing I've heard a lot of... Um, Kind of, I'm not sure if this is stereotype or, yeah. or what, but that a lot of the time, um, women in general uh, going into tech jobs, maybe they don't feel as um, maybe as confident mm-hmm. with their ability or they might feel like um, they don't deserve as much or, you know, a lot of things that I felt I personally identify with. But on the flip side, other people don't reinforce that in me. You know, other mm-hmm. people will oh but you're you're fine you're you're a white male drew you're able to do this yeah and, and it's not like they're saying that exactly but um but it's implied i think yeah uh, and i think that's not always the case um and so and, and that's kind of interesting one of the things that as a developer in general you know something that i think we're faced with every day which is also quite empowering is to fail first and totally. we expect failure and we expect that um that we're we're gonna you know our tests are gonna are going to fail, um, but we see that as a step forward. Yeah, you know, and then you you get them to pass. And I think leading with that mentality is really great. Um, but this also brings me back to I remember when I was I guess about eighteen ish, something like that. And for the first time, I started to feel like an adult. Hmm. Um, and do you know what it was that that really uh, triggered it for me? And I said, what? now I'm an adult. What drew? Um, it was that. So I was working in uh, the North Shore Rec Center uh-huh. uh, in the cafe, and one of the guys who was a, a janitor there, he'd come for lunch all the time, and he'd talk to me. Mm. And he wouldn't talk to me like I'm some kid that he's giving advice to. He would just talk to me like, a, like a, another adult. And that's when I realized, you know, adults look at me as an adult. Adults are treating me like an adult. Other people are, are treating me like this. So it was that sort of... Um, you know, the idea of adulthood being reinforced by other people that I considered to be adults. And that made a big difference for me. Hmm. Um, and it was more like I hadn't felt that I'd changed inside, mm-hmm. but now the perception of me has changed. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That also, yeah, that, that touches on just kind of reinforcing gender roles and your experience as a man, like a male right. uh, software engineer. And I think when you mentioned uh, being okay with things being broken, mm-hmm. I think I've been asked before, uh, you know, what advice would you tell your former self, you know, just getting into engineering? 
and that would be you know be okay with things being broken 99% of the time you're working with broken code and <laughs> or spaghetti code and crappy code and mm-hmm. um and you want to you know make sure that you know the the developer looking on your code like 10 years from now doesn't want to kill you right so yeah that's i think that's one of the biggest things is yeah working with legacy code right now um i feel where I, where i'm working we're moving pretty quickly mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff that we're we're developing um it it didn't exist yesterday but today it's legacy code right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's hilarious yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah i think that's uh it's something only a developer uh definitely has to deal with on a daily basis right uh, i think a lot of things can be really scary but something um for me like i've been i guess having had the title of developer uh only for a couple of years now mm-hmm. But um, it, it seemed like a really big achievement to me because I'd, totally. uh, I'd kind of worked hard for it. I, I didn't feel ready and I had roles in tech support mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. and kind of worked up to it. And I think that's almost the wrong way to go. You know, tech support or QA, once you get into that, uh, it's even harder to get your mindset into being now in the developer. Definitely, definitely. And I think uh, part of the reason why I really wanted to start Women Who Code, um, which I think is a very well, not necessarily progressive, but maybe modern idea is that, you know, not everyone who's an engineer, uh, you know, has a CS background. Mm -hmm. I don't have a CS background. I have an anthropology background. So I come in, you know, from an interesting lateral kind of segue, you know, from the social sciences uh, into code. And, you know, just building spaces for women to congregate and to talk about uh, programming and to kind of share their experiences with, you know, their journey into development um, and have that, you know, be as as diverse as possible, have those stories be as diverse as possible is really is, is kind of a good start and what I mm-hmm. hope to kind of achieve in Vancouver going forward. Very cool. So here's a question that's kind of out of left field, I guess. I don't know where, which field. But, <laughs> um, so... Uh, there's things like you know women who code, but there's definitely not a men who code. Right. So why is it important to have uh, a women who code? Uh, I think it's a really well. I can tell you a personal story. Mm-hmm. So when I, in like I mentioned, I, I don't have a background in, in CS, but I did end up uh, going through a, a boot camp in in uh, New York. Uh, about I guess now almost a year ago and uh, the New York Women Who Code chapter is huge Um, it's over 7,000 members and uh, they partner with you know like oh my god Bloomberg and Time and all of the big you know giants there and I remember uh, one day focusing on a really hard problem set and I was kind of down and uh, one of my friends you know invited me to a NLP natural language processing meetup at Bloomberg and it was sponsored by Women Who Code, and I was like, that's really cool. I think NLP is awesome. I want to learn about like data and clustering and all this cool stuff. So I ended up going there and talking to women uh, who just reinforced the sense that you know you don't have to figure it out. Every day uh, is, is different. Uh, coding is not necessarily fun all the time. It's hard work. In fact, it's rarely ever fun because you're working with broken <laughs> things all the time. But, um, you know, keep at it and uh, keep coding. You're a woman. You deserve to be here. You deserve to be represented. Um, your viewpoint matters. And uh, you can bring to the, something to the table that, you know, no other developer can. And I think that or the majority in, in this case of other developers can't because you're a female. So mm-hmm. I think that that to me was just so amazing. And that that reinforced the fact that, wow, we really need these spaces. We really need, you know, women talking about code. Um, and men talking about code too, um, but it just it gave it gave me a sense of 
inspiration and determination to actually get back, you know, on the horse and continue to hack. And I think um, that's my personal reason as to why Women in Code is important. Uh, you know, it's it functions as a nonprofit, and you know, we partner with with organizations all over the world where we actually host meetups in their spaces, and that's great for you know building spaces for women to come. But it's even more important because the the spaces that we actually uh, host our meetups in and the the partners who we work with. Um, you know, we act, our meetups actually act as a talent funnel for uh, females to actually be hired eventually at those companies. So it's it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. And, you know, Women Who Code matters because Women Who Code gets more females in the workplace. So that's why we matter. Very cool. So something I noticed uh, for me kind of to uh, combat my own personal, um, uh, I guess, lack of lack of confidence in my coding ability was uh, when I first started getting into um, into development and looking for roles as a developer, uh, I grew a beard and I purposely oh, wow. grew a beard to, <laughs> to go to my first interview. Um, and I, you know, it was, it's funny because one day I shaved and uh, our dev manager said, oh, um, we, we can't give Drew responsibility today. He's not good enough now. Oh I think he said it jokingly, but um, this, again, it reinforced the yeah. sort of, um, the stereotype totally. of the bearded developer totally. and um, and I really I kept my beard until about a year ago mm. um, when I felt confident enough that I, I can call myself a developer uh, in front of other developers wow. and you know um, that I could shave it and I've kind of heard that uh, the the female equivalent is not a beard but maybe color uh, yeah. colored hair what do you think about that is this is this a stereotype um, should we play into it like mm. that? Uh, I mean, if I if I wanted somebody to take me as a serious manager, I'd probably wear a tie. Mm. Um, I'm not a manager, so <laughs> I don't. Um, you know, is that is that something? Yeah, that... I think I think anytime you like self fashion with objects that are kind of symbolic in some way, mm -hmm. so like the the glasses with the tape on them, or uh -huh. like the beard, or you know, the crazy purple hair. Uh -huh. um, I think I think that's just a part of being human. Um, that self-fashioning. And um, I definitely have dealt with imposter syndrome and I've definitely dealt with, and I still deal with, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'm confident, you know, with my code and, and, uh, you know, someone who is sitting right next to me who has the same level of experience is better than me and stuff like that. And I think, you know, comparison is, is always, is very human. Um, but I know that, you know, there has been research done, um, you know, by social scientists uh, testing um, whether when women and men are actually reminded of their gender, women end up actually performing like 20% uh, lower on uh, math and sciences and test taking. Like when, you know, you say you have to take like an SAT and you have to click that or select that box, male or female, females actually perform worse um, after mm. being reminded um you know, about their gender. So it's it's a real thing. And I know um, even hearing your story saying, oh, well, this is kind of a funny remark that my boss made, but it's mm. actually a real thing. Yeah. And I think uh, I think everyone kind of, you know, engages in, in that self-fashioning. Mm -hmm. So what about for, um, for people working in development? Uh, what are some things we can do to sort of, uh, to help to deal with this gender disparity? Totally. I think... Um, looking at the code and judging the code before the developer is really important. 
Um, you know, we are computer scientists. We, you know, follow the scientific method with working with data. Mm -hmm. And I think just being open to, you know, a diversity of viewpoints and um, uh, knowing that a diversity of viewpoints at the end of the day makes better products is, is probably your best bet. But um, it would definitely be interested, interesting to kind of host a um, code review uh, anonymously and maybe take, like, even if you're in a company or something, take, like, anonymous or little snippets of code from, from your colleagues and kind of have everyone look it over and, and maybe judge the code for the code's sake instead mm -hmm. of the developer. I don't know if that makes sense, but it would be an interesting... Yeah, maybe. Um, I think one of the one of the big things though is just getting to the point because I mean to have to have code review and to have code submissions and things like that you have to have developers totally uh, and so the team that I'm on right now we have um, I guess we have about 10 people we have um, it's it's hard to say because so one of our one of our quote unquote developers uh, is contract and she's our designer but mm. she also does develop mm -hmm. um, so she kind of fits like more of a design role uh, and then we have uh, another developer that's also female, um, but she's been doing QA. Right. Um, and transitioning. So we actually did hire somebody on to be full-time QA uh, as she transitions in, which is great. But And that's of, uh, I guess, about 12 people. Mm. Um, so that's a pretty large percentage, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but how do we how how do we get more uh, female developers? I think uh, visibility is really important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even even getting more women um, women initiated software development meetups is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, when I one of the thing one of the reasons why I started Women Who Code um, was you know after being really involved in the Women Who Code scene in New York, I came back to Vancouver where you know I was working as a developer and I kind of took a look around metaphorically of the meetup mm -hmm. landscape and I was like where the hell are all the women developers <laughs> where are they mm -hmm. where are they and you know um, I actually went to la a ladies learning code event and that was great and I was like this is great awesome ladies learning code but what about the freaking women who code mm -hmm. and so that was one of the reasons why I was like we need we need meetup spaces uh, for you know female engineers and uh, even it's funny because even some of the, you know, other work, other meetups um, there, they are male dominated and they actually reflect the numbers of, you know, of the gender numbers in tech. Mm -hmm. So um, that was kind of my mandate and my goal. And um, I probably seem a little bit militant and I am, but I, I we also we also are, you know, non-binary binary, too. So mm -hmm. we welcome men and women and trans everyone uh, to our group. But we just mm -hmm. want that visibility. We want, you know, a woman who's considering moving from QA to, you know, test development to come to our, you know, meetup and mm -hmm. meet someone who's doing that. And uh, since launching Women Who Code, we, you know, our group has exceeded 200 members in five days. Nice. And uh, women are coming out of the woodwork, and I'm so freaking excited. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my goals as a director is actually to see those numbers grow above 1,000 mm -hmm. by the end of the year. So I think we could do it. Very cool. Yeah. Well, the year's just begun. Yeah, and, it does. I mean, if you can get 200 in five days, you yeah. said, yeah. then yeah, it seems like a, an achievable goal. So uh, with the, how can the community help out? Yeah. So um, if you guys want to be a sponsor, we're always looking for uh, corporate sponsors um, and that, you know, we, we traditionally like to partner with um, large, you know, multinational companies for our monthly events because they have those companies usually have the space to accommodate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, larger meetups. Right. But uh, we've partnered with, you know, smaller financial fintech startups, 
um, just to kind of give you um, uh, an idea of the roadmap for 2017. Mm -hmm. um, we are having our launch event at Microsoft Canada on January 19th. Cool. Uh, following that, we have our February event at Plenty of Fish in the aquarium during Valentine's Day week, which is going to be sick. Nice. And then um, uh, March, we have Mobify. Mm -hmm. uh, April, we have Clio. Uh, May is still open, but we're kind of talking to EA. And then we're having a crazy, huge solstice celebration at uh, the Microsoft dev site, hopefully, in uh, in June. Very nice. So, yeah, it's all, I mean, it, you know, how you can help is mm -hmm. obviously, um, you know, reach out to me directly, uh, Holly Pack at Women Who Code, if you uh, or your company wants to host events. Uh, you know, for these monthly events, we usually have a speaker series. So we'll have two or three uh, technical speakers talking about a project they're working mm -hmm. on. Um, but we are also looking to host hackathons and uh, development workshops and smaller one and cheese get togethers, you know, make a robot, make, you know, lights mm -hmm. with Arduino, whatever. Uh, just, you know, reach out to me and we'll, we'll definitely coordinate. Very cool. So how many uh, attendees do you uh, anticipate at these? Meetups? So, yeah, this is the, this is the fun thing. So mm -hmm. we actually capped our uh, first kickoff event at 55 people. Mm -hmm. And right now we have 45 people on the wait list. Nice. So it's it's going to be big. Right. Yeah. So it ranges from like smaller events like, mm -hmm. you know, our, our kickoff is, is 40 is 55. And then um, our subsequent February event is is 70 people. So monthly events are larger. And then, you know, um, maybe bi-monthly uh, study groups are, are going to be more intimate and smaller. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, so what sort of, I guess you, you talked about, you have speakers, you yeah. have uh, sponsors, you have obviously people in attendance. Um, what else can the community help out with? Yeah, so um, Women Who Code actually is the largest uh you know, um, mm -hmm. community of developers uh, kind of oriented towards this common goal. So, you know, we are a nonprofit. So uh, we've actually given about half a million dollars of scholarship to our members. And we have this amazing uh, weekly kind of code digest. It's called a code review where we blast it out to um, the 80,000 members in our in our global community. And we kind of highlight, uh, you know, female achievement, you know, promotion, scholarship winners, um, so a lot of our directors actually go on to, to do talks on like NBC and CNN and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just getting involved, signing up at the most basic level for that code review. So you become, you know, a part of our global community um, is, is a great place to start. And, uh, you know, even the partners, we encourage partners uh, to, to make donations uh, to, to women who code. So we can mm -hmm. actually, you know, send female developers to like App Academy or, uh, other, you know, on other scholarships that through our mm -hmm. partners. App Academy is a pretty interesting one. Mm -hmm. um, so they've got, uh, if I remember correctly, they've got some pretty stringent entrance requirements. <laughs> and uh, if you make it through, um, particularly if you're eligible to work in the States, if you're eligible yeah. to work with one of their hiring partners uh, and they you get hired on, then it, that's 10000 out of your... Uh, yeah, they um, reimburse heavily. Yeah. It's, so, it's funny because like, yeah, it's really it's crazy how the boot camps are kind of becoming their own little institutions. Mm -hmm. And um, I it's it's awesome that you're involved with CodeCore because mm -hmm. CodeCore, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. was the the whole reason why I got into tech. Oh, really? I was in yeah, I was in finance before mm -hmm. um, working in research and distribution, and I'd always kind of been interested in coding. Mm -hmm. And I I'd taken the fundamentals night class, yep. and uh, I freaking loved it. Yeah, I loved it. So and that was like oh my god, like almost two years ago now. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, how you got into coding, <laughs> but I guess that's how. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I um, I was actually kind of quite interested in the anthropology type thing. Oh, but cool. uh, rather than take the educational route, I just went and lived in other countries for a long time, learned languages. And um, uh, and I'd always kind of wanted to um, to get a proper education. And I'd looked around at all these different things. And it didn't seem like there was um, it didn't seem like there was much in the way of being able to study online um, or through correspondence if you were traveling. Totally. You know? uh, and I was really interested in, um, are you familiar with Richard Dawkins? Yeah. I really liked uh, his writing style and I like to read a lot of his, uh, of him. And uh, I thought, I found it actually quite similar to Stephen Pinker mm. in a way. Uh, although I'd say Stephen Pinker is a better writer. Um, just a better way with words, I think. Um, but they're both quite good. And I really liked their, their sort of strong opinions. I think that was something I really liked about it, them as well was, you know, and I, I like people with strong opinions because they, they seem like they really have a reason to believe that. Um, and so anyway, I'd read kind of everything, uh, all of it, all of the books that they published. And I was looking for, um, I was looking for some, maybe papers uh, or something and so I, that brought me to the oxford website where um they happened to have uh an undergraduate diploma in computing I thought, oh wow well, that that's great and the um <clears throat> the application process was rather painless and free mm -hmm. and i thought that was really strange <laughs> you know i i thought it would be quite expensive to yep. apply for but it was it was actually free, um, and I got accepted. And it turned out that was the last year that they offered uh, this <laughs> You're undergrad. You're the last cohort. <laughs> yes, um, that's cool. And I wasn't very interested in in computers or com well, a little bit. Like I used to like the game, and I'd build mm -hmm. out my own systems. But cool. I wasn't particularly interested in that. Um, but it was just a way that I could get uh, an education that's or awesome. get some credentials. And so I did that. Um, and then I got really interested in it. It was a great course. Uh, I learned a lot. We actually had to go uh, in the in the summers for a couple of weeks and write our exams. And so we got to meet everyone from around cool. the world. And that was yeah, it was really interesting. Um, but it wasn't enough. Um, I felt it wasn't enough. It was a two-year undergrad diploma. Uh, it it kind of gave a lot of the, um, you know, if you, I guess the idea was if you could read uh, and then write based on what you'd read, which I was very good at mm -hmm. at the time, um, then you could pass. Yeah. And so I read all these, I, I remember reading about like network topology, for <laughs> example, which, you know, token rings and things like this, that um, I, I kind of now maybe have a better idea of what that is, but I still don't know yeah, that yeah, well. Yeah. Um, but I was able to do very well because I could read what was in the, in the textbook and then write uh, basically essays on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'd been kind of going from there. Um, I, I'd ended up coming back to Canada and I was working in tech support and trying to learn you know, uh, development on my own, reading PHP books and oh things boy, like that. Oh, boy, PHP. Right? And, uh, and I'd heard about a dev boot camp. Actually, dev boot camp oh, was cool. the one. Um, and then that was before Vancouver had any boot camps. Yeah. Uh, and then I heard about CodeCore through, um, I guess they did a Rails Day. This is back in, I want to say 2013. Oh, wow. I think it was. Yeah, November 2013. Uh, so they did a free Rails Day, which was more or less the first week of the boot camp um and, but in a day and so it was really fast cool and that was yeah it was pretty awesome um and that was kind of my first introduction into boot camps oh, and into cool. rails that's and awesome. decided to join uh and be the first cohort and then also was the first ta that's awesome yeah it's cool. pretty interesting 
So I, I, I think this is a really interesting thing that we have now. We have these, you know, mm-hmm. App Academy, Dev Bootcamp, CodeCore, yeah. uh, Lighthouse yeah. Labs, um, like BrainStation and Red as well, so four locally. And we have this enormous need yeah. in industry for more developers. Totally. And that doesn't seem to be going away. No, absolutely not. And it's even more so with data science now. I mean, mm-hmm. I think... You know, it's interesting because I'm actually doing this Microsoft data science um, kind of scholarship right now. And they are projecting like, you know, over a million job opening uh, job openings for data scientists uh, by next year. And mm-hmm. we just don't have the talent. A million. Yeah, a million. And yeah. we just don't have the, the talent pool to, mm-hmm. to fill it. I mean, it's like the revolution is here and we don't literally have the workers. Right. Um, and, you know, of that, women are, are not choosing to go into STEM. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with, um, um, you know, a hiring manager uh, the other day. And I was like, how do you hire, um, you know, a boot camp student? And how do you hire a, you know, a, a recent graduate with a CS degree? And what do you look for, mm-hmm. um, you know, in both of them? And how do you, how do, how do you know, technical companies now work with institutions and boot camps to, you know, kind of comment on what curriculum is, is beneficial to actually learn and what, you know, you can maybe leave out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. I'm interested in, in your experience with kind of working with students, how mm-hmm. you've seen students kind of excel and how the curriculum itself has kind of evolved over, over the time you've been a TA. Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, the curriculum's definitely evolved. Um, when it started out, uh, there was, um, there were a lot of very interesting ideas. And yeah. I think we started out with, um, I think we had about eight or nine different teachers planned, and it ended up just becoming Tam. Wow, um, yeah. Because he really, he, he had a lot of feedback from the students right away early on, um, and kind of came in and was like, okay, we really need to focus on the technical yeah. things. Um, and then... Uh, I think after the first cohort, which was very small, I think we started with 10 and we finished with you know, six or seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people went out and started doing technical interviews. And the first thing that became apparent was they weren't prepared for um, algorithm questions. Right. You know, they'd learned about, you know, the framework rails right. and they'd right. learned about, you know, um, sort of CRUD. Uh, and that was very relevant to the types of jobs they might be going out and doing, especially if they're working in startups. But um, but the questions in interview weren't. They were very much algorithm. And... <laughs> What's a sorting algorithm? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Show me bubble sort. Uh, yeah. And so, um, I th- like whole sections were now yeah. were then uh, implemented on. You know, let's actually let's look at some of these common sort of uh, things that you not only should you know or would you need to know, but are going to be asked. Yeah. And um, you know, interviewing is a whole other. A whole section of you know um, of employment even yeah. right HR is a yeah. is a whole department sometimes yeah, yeah. and um, and it's interesting like what are you actually looking for and then to look on the flip side of that um, are you getting people uh, who have the skills that you need to to do the work and I, I've noticed like you know we have um, even the term senior you know, we say this is a senior developer or that's a senior developer. What do we base that on? And there's a couple of different ways. Like we can look at the, the complete sort of master of all things. Um, and, and that would be a senior because they've got the, they've got the algorithms. They've got the, the data structures. They have a deep understanding of maybe databases and they have a, a, a um, but then on the other hand, you might say, you know, but this person's been working with Rails for three years and only rails right um but so now they're a senior rails Mm -hmm. developer Mm -hmm. and each of those people might um might be a better tool for the job 
right right or a set of tools or a person mm-hmm. that you could apply to a particular job depending on what tasks you're trying to solve and i and i think that if you're trying to say um it's the same thing i think that we say a lot of the time you know you you, you learn one thing and then you've got a hammer so you're trying to solve every problem with a hammer right. um i think with interviewing and i think with job placements it's the same thing yeah um and i think more and more going forward uh i think we're getting this from the culture that's arising from developers the developer culture is that more and more going forward um i think we're going to go to to companies and say you know i'm not applying for this role that you have i'm going to define an, a new role because i'm a different person mm-hmm. and i bring different things to the table but i have i see you have problems and i can solve these problems maybe in ways you haven't thought of yet right. because i'm a i'm I'm a developer slash HR right, or, you know, right, or right. whatever, you, whatever role you happen to fit in right. um, that may not exist right now. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a diff- that's very interesting kind of coming up with like the, the many applications of, of even what a software engineer is, mm-hmm. is really, really cool because I think software engine, like this term software engineer is so nebulous anyway, like it just encompasses so, yeah. so much. And um, and I think that's changing every day. It's mm-hmm. very, very interesting. I think one of the reasons as well that um, smaller teams uh, seem to be so emphasized is because that's when, um, like it, you often see in startup culture, but I think you could probably see it at Amazon with a small team or at Microsoft where they, you know, I know definitely companies like Capital One, for example, they have their, um, in I think it's called Innovation Labs, mm-hmm. where they break out into smaller teams and build out products and and then filter those back to the company hmm. um, and kind of run in a startup sort of agile mentality. So one of the benefits, of course, is just being able to be agile and to move quickly. But another, I think, is that people are able to be more creative and yep. say, oh, we're missing we're missing somebody to do this, so I'm going to do that. Or we're missing somebody to do that, so I'm going to do that. Whereas traditionally, you had walls or barriers and people saying, no, you're, you're a software engineer. You don't do that right (laughs) right right that's yeah that's a very good point Mm. and how just kind of i'm really interested this is kind of a question i always ask and especially since you're a leader of um you know hacker nest which is Mm -hmm. pretty cool how have you seen um the you know um software engineering landscape or developer landscape change over the time that you've run that that meetup group it's interesting i think we've gone through um this is probably the past two to three years Mm -hmm. i guess uh, I think Vancouver has changed quite a bit. There's, there seems to be, you know, a lot of people still in the same mind frame from, you know, 2005 or 1995. Interesting. Um, a, as far as, you know, here's a, here's a traditional role, here's a traditional pay scale, here's a traditional law, and that the, there's management and the company that comes first. Of course, that, that sounds like a very reasonable and interesting thing. But on the other hand, there, there seems to be um, a new sort of idea arising that that the people are the greatest asset of a company. Totally. And that a company is nothing if it doesn't have uh, and, and foster and build its mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And that that should be the number one goal. And that the product that comes out of you know, having a group of people uh, in a healthy environment, being encouraged and, uh, and being provided for or being able to provide for themselves, given the tools it will then the the products will come yeah and so i see i see we see like a kind of two different types of companies i could almost name some of them but yeah. I, I don't know if i want to yeah. um but i mean for sure for me as a developer as somebody who's interested in development for myself and for others i think 
that the latter is much better. You know, it's, it's all about um, what I think anyway, is that information, the more, the, the freer information is to flow, whatever that means, you know, whether it's information from your yourself or on the computer, the, the more access that everybody has to information and the freer that that information is, the happier and healthier society seems to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's very important. So I, I really dislike, for example, closed off administration, right. uh, e- even if that's uh, like, a, like I won't participate in a channel on a Slack group that's closed off for the purposes of administration. Oh, interesting. Right. Um, interesting. I just, I, it's not something that resonates with me unless there's some very compelling reason to have this be private that we can all agree upon, then I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good mentality. Yeah. Cool. And I, and I think that has a lot to do with the freedom of information. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. just, I have been to, to a couple of your meetups and, and definitely the, the, the atmosphere is, is very democratic, which mm-hmm. I like, which is pretty cool. Nice. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Holly, uh, thank you very much for being on. If people want to reach out to you, uh, maybe they want to sponsor the one of your meetups or take part in it uh, or join, uh, how do they get a hold of you and how do we find out about yeah, it? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Um, so if you are interested in being involved in any way, we're looking uh, for community members, for leaders, for local evangelists, uh, women who are a part of our group to help promote, uh, you know, across our social media channels and within uh, the Women Who Code Network. Please get a hold of me um, at Holly Peck, P-E-C-K at womenwhocode.com. Uh, if your company is interested in partnering with a meetup event or, you know, a local initiative and, and want our stamp of approval or want our involvement, please reach out to me as well. Um, we're always looking uh, for, for community partners. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being on the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thank you so much, Drew. It was uh, very fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.